Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Samora Smallwood, an actor and writer who's appeared in such films as Berkshire County and I Wish You Love, and such shows as Designated Survivor and Suits. She co-stars in the new Amazon miniseries The Shelter, and you'll be seeing her in the upcoming seasons of Shadowhunters, The Mortal Instruments, and The Expanse. Samora chose three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, Martin McDonough's caustic comedy starring Frances McDormand as Mildred Hayes, a woman who sets out to shame the police chief of her small town for his failure to solve her daughter's murder and creates a domino effect of tragic reprisals and unexpected reconciliations. With McDormand's riveting performance matched at various points by Woody Harrelson, Sam Rockwell, John Hawks, Lucas Hedges, Clark Peters, and Peter Dinklage, this is one of last year's best pictures and maybe one of the most controversial for reasons we'll explore here. It's going into this weekend's Oscar ceremonies with seven nominations, including Best Picture, Best Actress, and Best Original Screenplay, and I'm thinking it's got a pretty good shot. We'll talk about that, too. This is someone else's movie. What made me choose the film? There's so many things. So on a surface level, I am always about sort of a dark comedy or a um, a strong female lead, and my favorite genre is the crime genre. Okay. So for me, as I got a little bit older, it's crazy because I have all these new kind of rules I put forward. And as a feminist, it's tricky because sometimes rape or violence against women will be used as a plot device or as the reason a female character needs to be strong. So I've been taking a closer look at that and seeing how it makes me feel or it doesn't make me feel good. And in this film, of course, there's the daughter, the main character. Her daughter has been killed. And she's been raped. And that is sort of her vengeance mission. But it's not exploitative. And there's so much happening in all these people's lives that was happening before that happened. So I guess that's why I like it. Mm -hmm. Strong female lead. It's a crime story. It's a dark comedy. And it's a character study, too. Sometimes the characters in crime movies are just, like, there to help the expedition along. But they're all so oddly real and specific and strange yeah well that's mcdonough's thing right i mean totally his his ability to spin i i was not the biggest fan of in bruges oh i love that movie oh my gosh everybody else did yeah Yeah. uh but when it first came out i thought this feels like a very um it felt like for it for all of the talk about how uh, individual the voice was it felt very derivative to me it felt like just a riff on Tarantino stuff mm. and, it, and it worked mm-hmm. and it's pleasurable I love the Chloe character the, Well, but everybody in it is just so well drawn mm-hmm. and I've gone back to it and I've been I've tried to sort of push past it I, I much preferred the subsequent one Seven Psychopaths yeah that was good and then Three Billboards comes along and it's like oh yeah no this is this is what he's trying to do it's, totally. it's the cinematic balance between uh, his voice and the individual performances, and finally the look and the sound of it, the, the use of score. It's it's. This is the movie that I think he was trying to make all along. Do you? Maybe. Well, it feels like it's not burdened by its relationship to the Tarantino-ness of the first one or the meta-ness of Seven Psychopaths. Like, it is only about what it is about, and mm-hmm. it's a straight line. Yeah. And its thesis is simply, you know, look closer, 
don't you can't underestimate people. No one is one thing. That's it. And it just that... and there's little sprinkles of that in all the stuff, right? Mm-hmm. When I was thinking about this, I thought that whole I love the idea of a filmmaker or even just a writer or a person that doesn't let you easily fall on a moral spot. Right. Right? And this movie kind of does that. Like, there's very clearly drawn things. You think you know how you feel, and then it starts to go on, and the characters, things happen. The characters reveal things, and then you don't know where you are. So the moral shaky ground I like, because I think we are in a time where people think they know so well where they stand. Yes. And before another person even finishes saying what they're saying, they think they know, and then it's over. And it's sort of like a conversation stopper. Yeah, it's the presumption of clarity. Exactly, and it's easy to get past it. But you know what's very interesting, too, in this film, and mm-hmm. I forgot to mention it before about what I loved about it, was the brutal family relationships. Sure. That was very interesting, because, yeah. especially amidst, like, tragedy, I thought that, and it was so crazy, because, especially the scene with... um are we allowed to do spoilers? Yeah, I think so. I mean, at this point... It's out long enough. Yeah, and, and it's, you know, it's nominated for many Oscars. People should see it by now. If you haven't seen it, it's your own fault. Ah, yeah, That's what I used to say to people about shows. Once it's been a week, <laughs> we can talk about it. Because people get nuts about certain shows. Westworld and that. They're like, no spoilers! Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now, too, like, that's the other thing. We have this thing where... You can control not just when you watch something. The concept of appointment viewing is gone. I still I have piles of... I've got the Legion Blu-ray over there that I haven't even started yet. It's been off the air for months, and I'm still avoiding spoilers. Yeah. That's on me. That's not the, mm-hmm. that's not the family. And you can't spoil. avoid them, I think. I, I think it's fair. I've done all right so far. Yeah, me too. But, but yeah, sorry. Uh, the family relationships in, in Three Billboards, absolutely, yes, you can discuss them. Yeah, so the family relationship, my favorite... Well, one of my favorite scenes is because... The lead character, played by Frances McDormand, has this sort of, like, uniform that yes. she wears, which I was really into because as an actress, that's something that really appeals to me, is who a person is, especially a female character, beyond how she looks. Mm-hmm. So she wears this uniform the whole film. Yeah, the coveralls. Yeah, with this crazy bandana, and I know that they kind of played around with the idea of having her be a skinhead in the film and wear the bandana. Really? Yeah, the director was saying that's what her original vision for it was. But then they CGI'd her head that way. <laughs> they were like, this is way too harsh. And obviously the the Nazi uh, sympathizer look, they were very worried about. It would, yeah, it would be hard to work around that. Right? Like, you, that, you just wouldn't be able to get around, especially the place that it's taking place. Mm-hmm. And the whole... Um, the racial tension. Well, the subtext that's running through, yeah. Absolutely. So they ditched that idea, and she's wearing this little ponytail. It's a pretty harsh look. But then there's this scene when she's at home and they're eating cornflakes, I think, her and her son. And uh, she's, her hair's down. She's a little bit softer. She's in a robe. But it's in some ways a very brutal personal scene because there's the flashback with the daughter and their final conversation. And that would just be such a nightmare. And the things that we say to each other and the people that we love and what it could mean. Um, I really totally connected with that. Yeah. Uh, because it's hard when you're an actor you get a script and you know what you're going to say so I really love that about her performances there's that real feeling that you don't know what's going to pop out of her mouth she's talking to this priest and your mind is blown about the shit she says right yeah, and that's a great scene yeah that's a really good scene and the writing is so spot on but in that scene with her son and then her ex-husband he comes in the house and they kind of have a confrontation mm-hmm. and it's beautiful how even though I don't side with the husband you understand both sides of it 
I can understand where he's coming from on the, what do you think you're doing with this billboard? And to our conversation a minute ago about social media, when you're inciting someone, she has a very righteous and valid thing she's trying to do. Hmm. And probably the only thing she can do to relieve some of the guilt and the pain that she's feeling about what happened to her daughter is getting these billboards up and demanding that someone answer, why are we not looking for her? And the husband, it's so interesting because in our world, you can have a feminist perspective, you have a male perspective, and of course he's seeing it from his side. All you're doing is pissing these guys off. And when you anger someone like this, nobody wants to help you. And that rings true. You're like, okay, especially through my lens, I see that. And you work in this world and you have to find a way to get people on your side and get people to understand your point of view. But she's just not at that point. She doesn't care. Yeah, and <laughs> and more to the point, she's made a uh, she's made the choice to not care. The thing that amazes me about McDormand's performance is how much of it is just a brick wall. Um, she is she's chosen her mission. She's not going to be swayed. I mean, it, by the time the film starts, she's had enough time to process this, and she's meditated uh, on what to do. Or uh, she's found her course of action, and she's committing to it to the point where she is destroying her relationship with her son she's destroying the possibility of happiness with other people there's that one moment that i mean so much of the film is is just this intense uh standoff between points of view mm. and mildred is she's not always right but she's the most right mm-hmm. in any given situation more or less right up until we see her you know, cross that line and set fire to the station and do all the other things and give herself the out of, well, she made a couple of phone calls. Like she, she's, she knows she's doing the wrong thing, but she's pushing through it because it's a mission now. And the one time it drops is the scene when, with Willoughby, when he coughs on her and she drops it so fast, her, everything goes down and McDormand shows us warmth and she says, oh baby, I know it's not your fault. And you know, you get this sense of, oh, that's right, these two have known each other their entire lives in this small town. They probably dated at one point when they were younger, and that's where this comes from, and his, and the way Harrelson plays it. It's just, it's this incredible moment, and the only other time in the film that we have that kind of snap of of, uh, of emotional tension is in the scene with the daughter in the flashback, mm-hmm. where it's just, it's so highly pitched that it feels almost too much, and then you snap back to McDormand at the table just thinking about it it's like oh yeah no that's right that's exactly what that scene needed to be Mm -hmm. uh and that was the thing that amazed me the most about mcdonough his his ability to use theatricality and pull back from it which he hadn't done in the other two films i know literally it feels so over the top at some point and it's cool what i really respect about him is that he isn't afraid to be showy Mm -hmm. but then it's juxtaposed harshly with this relatable thing that we've all been through we've all said that shitty stuff to our family or to people that we love um and many of us don't have the consequence that that person dies and you have to live with this but that's such an interesting thing i love that scene with uh willoughby when they're coming toe to toe and he has that spurt and Mm -hmm. it's kind of like she's accusing him the blood is on your hands and then the blood is quite literally on her yeah and that is so beautiful because that's like what your dream is as an actor to have that person who she's in this mission totally singularly focused and then just as quick as that she's a loving warm caring mother who understands yeah and she registers as all of it it doesn't feel false it doesn't feel contrived uh and i think a large part of that is just the way that the the intensity has been building that 
you know, it's it's the human response to just stop what you're doing and take care of an ill person mm-hmm. takes over. And McDormand is so good at conveying that. And there's no conflict when it happens in her eyes. She just goes down. She goes down from... 60 to zero. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's the, the same thing happens, weirdly enough, in the scene you mentioned with um, with John Hawks and, and, uh, and Luke's Hedges, the confrontation at that table, when it, they go from zero to 60, and suddenly he's got a knife to her throat. Or no, sorry, he's strangling her, and Hedges has the knife to his throat. And then they're caught. The, the girlfriend, the new girlfriend walks in, Samira Wiley, yeah. who's, who's so great at her line readings. <laughs> Uh, she and, is. They, and they stop what they're doing and then the next moment is the thing that bothers me the most is the scene where the father and son pick the table up and put it back together like they've done this a hundred times before mm-hmm. and it just speaks volumes to the way this family is uh, is trapped in this in this violent cycle and how they relate to each other and how they just drop this you know so was it a performance that he was threatening her life and he was threatening his I know, you know each time or was I... it all just the way that the, did they mean it in the moment and how much of it is real? That's what I mean. Like when I watched it, so I've seen it three times. When I watched it each time, that sticks out so much. You put that so well. Is this a little dance that they do? Um, and when you have a violent pattern with people and whether that violence is to yourself, the way you react when you have a confrontation with someone, even if it's verbal, is it a dance? And with the son, I kept wondering, is this the first time he stood up to his father and his father... Cause John Hawks does register on his face. Holy shit. Boom. He put the knife to my neck. I better. And there's that something about that that makes that swell of emotion come when you see this child who you know has definitely grown up in this house, this violent home, and he's wanted to protect his mother many times. And now he's going to, you are not going to fuck with my mom. And the writing is so nice. Like, oh, basically I'm being told off by a kid with cornflakes in his hair. What the fuck is this? So it's so interesting. And, um the girlfriend bursting in like that totally awkward exchange that she has everything is so layered nicely and i love that too about the film is there's all of these sort of ancillary characters that matter mm-hmm. and the things they say matter and when she comes in you kind of relate to her because when the son says why don't you invite her in i'm thinking yeah like this is so messed up what's your girlfriend doing sitting out in the car waiting while you come in to talk to your wife and then she does come in and then there's big consequences yeah. for her and what she came into. And that's like a through line in the film. What are the consequences of everything you do? And every little small thing is examined. Even um, the woman she works with, Denise, that's her mm-hmm. name, right? When she gets arrested, uh, she charges in and McDormand is so amazing because she even has a different register in her voice in that scene when she storms into the police station and they are kind of having a back and forth, Dixon and... Uh, Oh, um, yeah. I can't remember the other character's uh, name. Zelko Ivanik's character. I can't remember the character's name. Yeah. But even that is so amazing because he's kind of trying to coach him along and he's too dense to get it. But when he, she says, oh, what did you arrest her for? And he said, she had a couple of marijuana cigarettes, big ones, too. Yeah. You know, like, that is technically illegal. So there's all of this finely drawn stuff where you don't have a second as an audience member, at least for me, to rest on. Ugh. Yeah. What's going on here? Who's wrong and who's right? Yeah. Even though you're right, she is the most right in what she's doing. But the whole vengeance and her mission, I was on board with the whole time. And sometimes, you know when you watch a movie where there's a lead character, and often if it's a woman, they have a mission that you believe in, but you aren't personally hoping they win. Okay. You're watching as an audience member, you're like, oh yeah, this is good and we'll see where this lands. Yeah. But just not an investment. Like, you're not emotionally on the, on the same page, necessarily. Okay. And I just 
there was such a tension about there was a way of of the directing and the cinematography in this town this rolling small sort of town like you were saying maybe they dated everyone seems to know each other and just the pressure that must be to have this thing happen to you under the lens of everybody who knows you in the beginning of the film when she first goes uh to buy the billboards and the way it's revealed is so slick. The guy from Get Out, I can't remember that oh, actor's Caleb name. Oh, Landry Jones. Who Amazing. Is, I find to be the most annoying person in any movie, except this one. <laughs> He's great. He's, He's really good like this. the mannerisms work with everybody else. The, the That sort of thing he does where he holds back and chooses dialogue a little bit before he spits it out. Yeah. Uh, you know, it works because everybody's doing something idiosyncratic and he just fits right in as opposed to in Get Out where it's like oh you should hit this guy with a bat right away because he's not a good person and I'm pretty sure things are going to get worse if he sticks around I know I hated that he's so good at being annoying (laughs) I find that it works so well that I find him annoying yeah he is he's really annoying I mean it's good in the Florida Project yeah oh my gosh that was such a good movie too we could have done this for 10 different movies (laughs) but in the beginning of the film when she's there and it's kind of revealed she asks them how much the billboards will be and I love that it's just realistic I have to pay for this and then that heartbreaking feeling of like this woman doesn't have the money and I I loved how the film examined socioeconomic status race education and all of that in a not in a soapbox way yeah it's all there right it's the, the the mission the 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 billboards are the thing that focus all of these conflicts and bring them out but it is more important for us to see how the characters deal with each individual challenge as a, as opposed to i think that's what fe- people have found so frustrating is that you know the whole argument that the film is deaf is tone deaf to its african american characters mm-hmm. it seems to me that and this is speaking as the middle-aged white film critic um, <laughs> from a position of ridiculous privilege, but it seems to me that McDonough is aware of that, which is why he brings in Clark Peters in the second half mm-hmm. and gives a black character the 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 other voice of moral clarity, even more so than Mildred, because he sees through her. Mm-hmm. And by by his actions, he forces everything else to sort of clarify around him. And I think... You know, he doesn't have any big speeches. He doesn't need to. That's the whole point. When, mm-hmm. you have, when you have power, you don't need to exercise it. He just sits down in a... He just moves into the white police station and says, okay, this is over now, and this is what's going to happen. And that seems like it's being overlooked in a lot of the conversation around the film's racial politics mm-hmm. because it's about what happens when no one cares, and then he cares, and it changes. And I don't know that... Ebbing, Missouri, the fictional town, is going to be better after him. But I think the movie is aware that it's not right, that the situations that have been going... It doesn't... Like, I don't think McDonough approves of the uh, torturing that may or may not have happened before. And I don't doubt that it did. Uh, that's who Dixon is. And I also don't doubt that Willoughby let it slide, because that's who Willoughby is. And by the time the movie is over, we understand why these people made their choices. It doesn't mean the movie validates them, and it doesn't mean we have to agree with them. I it just means people, we're supposed to understand? Yeah, I don't know. That was so interesting because that's one of the things, like, for me, mm-hmm, I'm, I'm biracial. Um, but even if I, I weren't, that's one of, that's the era that we're in now. So if there's gratuitous violence against women in a film, as I said before, um, I don't really want to participate. If there aren't substantial speaking roles for people of color, I probably won't watch a film. Mm-hmm. But that's very interesting in that examination of this movie because I remember being very uncomfortable when I was watching it 
Um, and then later I had to think about it. I don't like to snap to a judgment and I was just blown away by the whole film and I love the film. As I've said, obviously I picked it. But when Clark Peters comes in to the film, I think it's very interesting how everything down to his costume is considered as well. It's not like he's very modernly dressed. He's not supposed to be this beacon of modernity. Uh, yeah, he feels like he's walked out of the 90s at, at best. At best, right? So yeah. I, I like how that was treated in the way of... And obviously, he said many times, Martin McDonough, that he doesn't want to tell you how to feel, especially on moral issues. So I do think that people are used to watching a movie that handles race or handles uh, gender politics or inequality, and they're used to being told mm. how to feel. Right. Even in a fantastic film like Get Out. I don't feel like it had an agenda per se and has a very unique lens, but it is telling you, like, you are very sure on how you're supposed to feel in a yeah, film. Yeah. It knows on whose side we are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I think that was grammatically correct. <laughs> I think so. Um, but the character of Dixon is so frustrating. And for me, I understand where people, where that controversy comes from because it is treated sort of casually, mm-hmm. especially in the parts where he says, um, and she uses the N-word, even though I hate the term the N-word, but I won't say the word. And he says it's the, what does he say, the people of color? Yeah, person of color. Person business. of color torturing business. And I think that the type of torture they're talking about because he blinded a man, right? That's what they say in the beginning of the film. Yeah. So that's treated very casually. They don't show that. But I don't know, and maybe you'll tell me how you feel, what is the commentary that they're making there? Is it that in these places this sort of violence is so so commonplace that we are not going to further judge this character some of the loving touches to a character like Dixon I understand that they're all anybody racist bigoted whatever has all of these multicolors so he's got all these little little tiny things and the director puts that in there everywhere I understand like I totally hear what you're saying about the derivative of like Tarantino because he's got the funny, funny-eyed lady, the fat dentist, all these little, like, mouthfuls that you just love as an audience mm-hmm. member. But Dixon is, there's so much about his journey where you're supposed to understand and be invested in him getting better as a person. Mm-hmm. And especially his relationship with his mother. I liked sort of that peek into his world on, are people really their own unique voice? Do they have that luxury? Or are we simply products of our environment? Yeah, I think it's clear that Dixon isn't like he's he's not bright. It's very like on on a most basic level, he has good intuitions for detective stuff, but he's not a clever person, and he does what he's told almost all the time in the film. It just depends on who's telling him things. Like he does what Willoughby tells him, he does what his mother tells him, he even does what Mildred tells him more or less towards the end. And I think the thing that other, the other thing that people are missing about uh, Dixon's evolution is at the end they're going off to kill someone they're not good people <laughs> like, he's still <laughs> no. not a good person yeah. he's just trying to be slightly better mm-hmm. and maybe think more about the people he murders he does one good thing uh, and it, it amounts to nothing in the end or I guess two good things if, if you include not thinking on Mildred for setting fire to the station but he's not redeemed uh, in, over the course of the film mm-hmm. we just understand how he could be worth wanting to be redeemed mm-hmm. and and it's a huge difference and someone else was saying somewhere that uh i'm sure it was on twitter uh that they they can't imagine why people are talking about sam rockwell's performance because i don't and i'm paraphrasing but the quote was like i don't want to 
root for a racist. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, but that's the point. You're not supposed to want to. You're supposed to understand him as a human being and still have whatever feelings you have about him, but you don't have to root for him to get any better. You just have to see that he's not a single thing. He is a character in a fictional story who represents a bunch of stuff, but Sam Rockwell's performance makes him a human being. That's where I think people's backs are up. Yeah. And that's one of the things, because we're celebrating Sam Rockwell's performance, and personally, I wish that of the awards he's won already, he had addressed that in some small way. And he isn't exactly, like, he's a pretty verbose guy. He is, yeah. He covered a lot of stuff in his speeches. It would be nice, I think, the community of color that wants to be on board with this evolution, and we are in a different world, and I think the more people on both sides can have an open conversation, not shut the other person down right away, you don't agree, no! Yeah. That doesn't work. So I'm really, and myself, like I can be very defensive about the things I believe in. Like I said, I'm a feminist and I'm biracial, but you have to hear someone out fully to be able to know where they're coming from as long as they're not like hurling vitriol at you. But that said, he has said a lot in his speeches and in his interviews, it would be nice. I don't know if personally he's uncomfortable with it or is it his his white male privilege he hasn't considered that? That can't be. He must have considered it. He's a pretty smart guy. I, I suspect that he's just... I mean, again, I've only met him the one time uh, and interviewed him, but he's he's thoughtful and, and smart, and I think he really likes things being on the surface and not having to explore too deeply after the fact. And I suspect he just doesn't want to say the wrong thing, mm. and so he's not saying anything, mm-hmm. which becomes frustrating in a completely different way. Yeah, so I think that... Yeah, I see what you're saying, and I thought a lot about it too, because as an actor, there's nothing more boring than talking about or hearing someone talk about their process yeah sure so it could veer into that path if he were to start talking about it because you do have to understand where your character is coming from whether you agree or not and i've played those sorts of characters before where you the hardest part of it is getting your head around why did they do this so he probably doesn't want to get into that boring brass tacks conversation about that um, and then, or either defending his choice to take the role or to play that character. But I think that's where people are feeling the, throwing the the gas on the flame of the controversy of him playing a racist because he's getting so many accolades. Yeah. And he's winning awards for playing that character and hasn't spoken out either way right. about when, it. When you can't find a definitive statement, you want one even more. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think McDonough's done a really good job of not fully addressing it intentionally and just saying like making the point over and over again that he's made a work that is a provocation it asks questions it forces you to engage with why you're siding with the people you're siding with even after you know the things that happen in the second and third acts and yeah i don't know i i don't know if an how would an actor address this without sounding like he was passing the buck Right? I mean, how would Rockwell, how, how, this is the problem, right? Like, there is no ideal statement. I mean, there is an ideal statement, but it's whoever tells you they want an ideal statement and it's up to them to determine it. And again, we're back mm-hmm. to that place where if you're not 100%, um, if you're not keeping it 100, and that's for someone else to decide, then is 98 good enough? Is 100 the only number you can shoot for? And this movie exists in about 75, mm-hmm. I think. Like, it just will not give you clarity. Or closure. Yeah. That's another one of the things I loved about the movie. It's a tiny little cheat in that the second Mildred sees him, she'll kill him. I have no doubt, because we know who he is. Yeah. And she knows who he is, and Dixon doesn't. 
um, we're given that one piece of information that the other characters don't have. Mm-hmm. So they're going to go kill a guy. Yeah. And I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. He's not a good person. No. Uh, and, Ooh. you know, but that's like, that's it, right? He's the one person in this entire universe, morally, who we know deserves to be killed. Yeah. Even if he didn't rape and murder Mildred's daughter, he took advantage of Mildred's weakness to attack her. He does not deserve to live. On this on this spectrum, yes. he's the lowest point. And so we get to go out going, yeah, look at them striving towards um, a, a redemption in their own way. They're still going to kill a guy. I know. I'm okay with it. I know. I'm okay with it too, but I kept, keep, kept thinking about the sun. Mm-hmm. It was so interesting. That was the biggest part of Mildred's mission that I couldn't get on board with. Um, and that I felt so terrible about the sun. Like, Just right. the way he's pushed out. Yeah, and also the way he, he seems to be really secondary, totally, in the whole thing. It's his life. And there's so many little scenes, and the actor is quite good, but the scene at the school, she doesn't care to humiliate oh, him. Right, yeah. And it's so funny how all of these really high-stakes situations with his life mirror regular teen life minus a dead sister right your parents will inevitably humiliate you in front of people at school they will tell you information you don't want to know they'll reveal some way that they're a human being you just want them to be mom but the scene in the car when he's talking about all the stuff that he had to relive because of mildred's mission is terrible yeah and when she says goodbye to him kind of at the end when she's off to do this mission it's he's another casualty so i did i kept coming back to feeling bad for the son Mm -hmm. um and there's no one that you fully agree with in this story. Like, even Willoughby, I just was so angry at him. Yeah. I was so angry at him with how he chose to 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 do that and to handle his situation with his family. Even oh, really? In... So his exit, you mean? Yeah. Okay. I was so upset. And it could be, like, my family was touched by suicide. My uncle committed suicide. Oh, I'm sorry. Thanks. And I was... It was when I was 13. You're very impressionable and all of our cousins. And I was so angry about that, how he did that to his family. So seeing Willoughby do that, and even though they had that beautiful day with the daughters, and he wrote the letters to the wife, and it was just so painful, the note that he put on his little thing. It was just mm-hmm. like, ugh. I don't understand why he did that, but you're not supposed to. Yeah, I've I've seen the film twice now, once with, I think, three people. Well, no, both times, actually. It were small screenings. The first time, they screened it for us in um, in June or July. As soon as it was announced for TIFF, it was run at us as a potential cover for now. Nice. And I still, you know, we, we had something else that took over, but I would have loved to put that one on the cover. Uh, and um, that moment where he puts, just stands still and puts the bag over his head, everyone in the room just kind of went... <sighs> just sucks all the air in. And the second time, I knew it was coming, and I'm sort of watching the audience. Yeah. And they, again, the same, oh, you know, just that pain of no... And we kind of know it because it's all been too good to be true, and mm-hmm. obviously, narratively, it's building towards something. Mm-hmm. But for Harrelson to exit, you know, an hour into the film, if that, I think it's a little earlier, to just go and still hang over the movie the way the character does, it's, it's remarkable. But he performs those final moments with such a strange calm and almost a mechanical just you know the way he sets everything up and goes and sits with the horses for a minute and does all these things with without selling i mean it's a it's a surprise when he ends his life because 100%. he doesn't give any of that away mm-hmm. which actually worked better for me mm-hmm, um, me too because it feels like willoughby's a guy who would just make a decision and see it through. Absolutely. And, and it, almost, it was almost perfunctory. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's and not... And I kept waiting, and that's probably the gasp, yeah, right? Yeah, it's not showy. Like, 
Yeah. This is going to happen. Something is happening, yeah. Yeah, this real thing is going to happen. And he plays it with such... He plays the role with such warmth that you're almost... I mean, Woody Harrelson has grown into an incredible actor. He's he always had fantastic comic timing. He's become this really great dramatic performer. Oh. But his physical self, you can use him for intimidation. Uh, there's a movie he made a few years ago called Rampart where he played a dirty cop in, in Los Angeles. And he was just an... He was a really convincing scumbag. Yeah. And with his hair short and with the right clothes, he looks like an asshole. And in True Detective. Oh, that's right. I always forget about True Detective. Because um, I tried really hard to forget about True <laughs> uh, But yeah, no, he's great. Uh, but but in this film, that, that whole point of it is that you can't read Willoughby until he opens up. And his initial scenes where he's calling Mildred Mrs. Hayes the first time because he's being formal. Mm. And you can completely believe this is a man who's covering up a murder or whatever else and, and this stuff with Dixon he's he's juggling so many things and it isn't until you get to the point of oh that's right he's dying of uh, horrible cancer and trying to be a good person is kind of low on his list if it's not with his family that all made sense on second viewing it just you can see him kind of switch into work mode with people and, and his letter to Dixon is so so fatherly and, and warm in a way that we and never see. His voiceover was wonderful, and usually it's, I hate voiceovers. Yeah, no, that's a great use of that. And, oh and in both God. cases, too. Yes. Uh, of, the, of those letters. Or the three, I guess there's three letters. Mm-hmm. Uh, three billboards, three letters. Nice. And, um, connection. And Har- yeah. I didn't make that connection. No, nice. I, just, I just did not, too. <laughs> uh, but Harrelson is so good at not being the thing you want him to be, uh, to the point where when he's dead, you don't want him to be dead. Like, I know. It's just, it's all. So it's such a great performance, and Rockwell being the character with the bigger arc and the showier character, and he is really good at playing dumb. Uh, and he really said he, he just wanted to slow himself down. That that's how he that's how he did it for Dixon. He just he took a second. He thinks about everything everyone says to him because he's actually processing it. The character isn't smart enough to understand metaphors and Ugh. and insults a couple of times go right over his head. Yeah, and it's just it's a joy to watch Sam Rockwell in that role because he is one of the fastest people you know in every other movie. I know he's just an amazing presence. Yes, and here to watch the light go out of his eyes. And then come back in in that scene in the bar where he figures out his strategy mm-hmm. really slowly. Yes. It's great. But Harrelson's work is, like, if this this isn't going to get him an Oscar. And it, it feels like that if this doesn't, nothing will. And the awards are not important, really. But this is when the episode is coming out, so we kind of have to address it. Yeah. Uh, but, but, yeah, I still think it's going to win Best Picture. I do th- you? Yeah, I do. It's won every other one. Um, Interesting. I think it's going to keep going. And I think it's the kind of film that the Academy can connect to because it gives you just enough of an out to make you feel better about yourself no matter who you are. That's true. And with the Oscars, that always plays. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, to come to come down to the, like, the basics, it works because the actors are as strong as they are and the dialogue that they're given is as strong as it is and, and everybody is punching their weight or above. Yeah. Landry Jones. And... Uh, yeah, and, and Lucas Hedges is part of that. He is doing a remarkable job of playing the kid who no one listens to. And we get to see, through his performance, just how much damage Mildred is doing to her own life mm-hmm. because of this crusade. We need that. Yeah. We needed that character. There was no wasted character here. Even uh, Peter Dinklage's character... Oh, yeah, we didn't even get to him yet. Yes. It was, was so amazing. He was really wonderful in it, wasn't he? And just... 
I thought it was such a clever use of the idea of lost potential mm-hmm. or a lost opportunity because the whole time I was watching it, it was very obvious to me that what Mildred was doing was going to cost her either her life, her future with her family. And that was a very interesting way to use that because here's this character who he has such a beautiful earthy way of hoping, being hopeful. Yeah. And being then present and aware, self-aware enough to know that the hopefulness might be in vain. Yeah. And all those layers are taking place. So even when they're in the restaurant, the scene with Mildred and he's on the date, I can't remember the character's name. And she kind of owes him the date, but she's enjoying like being outside of her mission, I think. Yeah. And then her husband and his new, much younger wife or, or girlfriend are there. The whole scene felt very much like a symbol for what could have been. And it was very much up to Peter Dinklage's performance. And he's hoping against hope that this could turn into something else. Yeah. And then we know what eventually ends up happening and how he plays a role. Like, it's, it was really, 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 really good. Yeah, and it's great to have him just there as a charismatic potential boyfriend who has no other purpose. Mm. I mean, he's, he really is... Um, he's not the most extraneous character, that seems unfair, but he is the guy who could lift out. You don't need him in the story other than to give Mildred an alibi. That's right. But by having him there, we do get to see her shutting herself off from the possibility of happiness and the other stuff that's being thrown away and, and disregarded because of this crusade she's on. Mm-hmm. Um, even her her initial... Oh, it's 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 the scene just after that, I think. It's when Jerome comes by to tell her about the duplicate billboards. Mm. Uh, and Jerome... I love that part. Is, he is just He's got four scenes, I think. He just pops up and brightens everything and goes away again. And yeah. it's, the actor plays a character uh, on You're the Worst uh, named Shitstain, which is... Ne- ah! Never not funny to me. No. And, and and Shitstain, the character, was absent. He's part of a, a, a hip-hop crew mm. that um, Aya Cash's character represents as a PR agent. And Shitstain was absent this season, and it's because he was off making this movie. Is that right? And it's just... I love the idea that he's actually the same guy, and that he's just gone to Missouri. To <laughs> yeah. and that's where Shitstain's been. And maybe he'll come back next season and mention it or not. I don't know. In my head, there's a continuum. But uh, Jerome is someone that Mildred is immediately dismissive and hostile to right up until he says, I put up the billboards, and then she cares. And that's that scene to me is emblematic of her entire life, that there's nothing there except the mission. And it's destroying her, and she doesn't see it. And to me, too, it's an interesting parallel because in the real world, there's a feeling that people of color have shown up for all the different causes. And then when it's time to show up for them, you won't. So I thought I took that away. I don't know if that was intentional for the film, but he's there and he's going to show up for what's right. And even when Dixon makes all of his discoveries in the bar, Denise and he are in just living their life. Witness to this thing going on and they kind of step in and you're wondering like is he going to wrestle these guys is he going to stop them but he tries to speak up for them so i thought that that was a very interesting thing to make us think about as audience members and chew on like what does reciprocity look like how does that work in Mm -hmm. the real world and in this world of the film and it's crazy because the universal theme of grief and how people deal with it i think everyone unless you're super young and very lucky Uh, has experienced Mm. grief in your life and everyone deals with it differently but one of the things that really struck me about it was she doesn't want to 
enjoy life outside of the crusade. She doesn't think she deserves that. And even the beautiful scene with the landscape with the deer reminded me so much of that. And I was, that was like all the hairs on my body stood up and I just wanted to cry because she's such a beautiful actress and that would be one of those moments where you would feel like that's a sign if there's an ability to come through and comfort someone who's lost somebody, that would be it. Mm-hmm. And then when and she, she shoots it down so quick. She yeah. shoots it down so you ain't her. Yeah. And it's just brutal because you want it you want her to have some kind of peace and then you want that too. And you're just raging at the world when you lose somebody and you've been grieving and you just don't want to afford she's definitely in that stage of grief where you don't want to afford yourself one moment's peace. Yeah. And that's the thing about grief that never goes away, right? Like there's the person you were before and the person you are after, if it's profound enough. And like this is as bad as it gets, I think, for yeah. a human. Yeah. And so we're watching someone push into it instead of try to get out of it, mm-hmm. which is more painful because we know, we know how, and this is, again, the genius of casting Frances McDormand, we know how warm she can be, we know how smart and funny she is, and she takes it all away to play this role. She just pushes herself into um, armor. Yeah. Even before she puts on the coveralls. Mm. And you're rooting for someone to come out of it, and I don't know that Mildred ever will, Mm-mm. which is really powerful mm-hmm. right like as a storytelling tactic that's we see her even in the end she's choosing this mission of vengeance it's not going to stop that's I know. the whole point right? I she's, know and you, I didn't personally didn't want her to keep going yeah. when she went in to look at her son and I loved how that shot so closely mirrored the flashback shot of her fight with her daughter it was like here's this shot lady you have this kid left don't like yeah. mess it up and that's such an interesting way that you put it that she's pushing in to the grief because who you are before and who you are after is they're so they're such different people mm-hmm. um and it's interesting because when Frances McDormand was talking about taking on the role she was concerned about being 60 and people buying that she could have this young daughter yeah which is kind of I suppose I hadn't even thought of it yeah it no. speaks to her performance right but then I started to do the math after I saw her interview and I was like huh Okay, I see it. But I really enjoyed the the lack of vanity in it because it felt true to the character when you're grieving and what you could be going through. But the whole film seems to be about choice. What side are you going to be on of good, bad? What side are you on morally? How do you mm-hmm. feel about these people? And that's interesting that you just said that she has this choice for me sitting there now. I'm thinking about it to get through the other side of it, to make a pledge to try and create a new life or not. Mm-hmm. And I mean, literally, that choice goes down in flames. Like, and does she even is she even aware that she's making that choice? Right? Is it just momentum at this point that she's carrying through because that's all she can do? I mean, so much of this is about people trying to change, trying to get to a result without changing themselves in a weird way. Uh, Dixon, I don't think he wants to evolve. Willoughby. You know, he'd probably try harder to find the killer if there was a way to find the killer, but he's mm. accepted that he won't, which mm. is its own kind of failure. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he's right, this stuff doesn't always get solved, and sometimes it never happens, and he's accepted it, and everyone else, and well, everyone else has accepted it except Mildred, and Mildred sees that as his moral failing. Mm-hmm. And she's not wrong, again, but he's not wrong either. Based on everything he knows, he's got other stuff to do. Mm-hmm. And he's dealing with his own family stuff and his own life and his one of his deputies is trying to kill people and that's not good and it's just it's all this continuum of tragedy where 
the death isn't the worst thing anymore. No. Except for Mildred. And that's destroying her. Because no one else feels the same way. And that's the thing that I've been struggling with so much is trying to find a way to articulate it to people. It's like, well, it's a comedy about the worst thing in the world. Yeah. And then believing that no one else believes that it's the worst thing. But how do you... How do you explain that to people who haven't seen it? I know. Everyone should see it. I think so. It's such a good movie. And it's not bloated. Yeah. Right? You take it in and it's not one of these films that's so over the top in love with itself. But very interestingly, the whole thing with Willoughby, especially their last conversation about it and how he's talking about how, you know, I would love to solve this if I could. And she's coming up with suggestions that seem pretty far-fetched, like do DNA testing on everyone in the country and everyone who's ever been here. And... The, they touch on police brutality, of course, and they touch on uh, police incompetence and the way the justice system is set up for these sorts of cases. Mm-hmm. That was very interesting to me um, because by all uh, definitions, her daughter is a good girl victim, right? She's right. white. Yeah. She's blonde. She's young. She's yeah. pretty. Which is the other reason that Mildred Hayes has to be white because if she was black, no one would listen to her. That's the other ugly problem that the film skirts. People, I, I have seen a couple of exceptions mm-hmm. to that. Why does it have to be a white story? Well... If it wasn't, unless literally every character in the film was of the same race and not white, you would you would have a built-in exit for people to not believe that this this conversation would be happening or this confrontation would be happening, that the police would ignore a black mother far more quickly than they would ignore a white mother. And especially the way that Ebbing, Missouri is set up in the film, right? There's no question. Police just, are actively not listening to black people. It is, yeah, especially like I highly doubt someone offering a, a, an alibi would go down as smoothly as it did right. if she were um, of color. Yeah, so there's there's it's loaded in that direction. Oh my gosh! But as you were saying, sorry. No, no, it's just that I like it. Could have they could have fully more fleshed that out that part of it the that tragedy too mm-hmm. the way the justice system is set up is that it's a slippery sucker. Like, where is this guy who did this? Usually in these films, it feels like the action and everything is driving towards that. But I think almost right away, like you were saying, we are bought onto the premise that, okay, everyone but Mildred understands this is never getting solved. So as an audience, you're able to better give in to noticing all of the different stuff and the beautiful character study and not thinking we're going to get a resolution here, which is... I think more co- common than the alternate alternative to families or people dealing with tragedy, loss, uh, murdered loved ones, or missing loved ones. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I don't think people get a closed, neat. Here's the person who did it. Yeah, and even if they do, the concept of closure seems to be something we've invented to make ourselves feel better. I don't think mm-hmm. you know loss is loss forever. It mm-hmm. doesn't. You, you can't get. You can come to terms with it, but I don't know that it's ever okay. And. This film is simply about how not okay it is mm-hmm. for I mean for everybody, but mostly for Mildred, and and that's our that's our character, that's our through line, that's going to be our shared perspective. But it it also knows just enough to show us Mildred's flaws and in, in, in this strategy and how she's inflicting damage on people in her own family. I mean, the cops can handle it. That's they're you know they're already detached and. Um, will be asked her to back off but ultimately i think he knows i mean he does know because of the letter he knows that it's necessary for Mm -hmm. her uh but we also get to see how she's doing damage to herself and her relationship with the people who are also grieving and affected and she's a ghost in her own life kind of right and i I liked too how her choices and costume and makeup and i think the film as well and the casting all that comes together to make 
a pretty substantial commentary on our society and how we treat women of a certain age. Mm. Right? Her husband has left her, and <clears throat> the girl that he's left her for is beautiful, but she's... 19. Mostly just young. Yeah. yeah. And right? Willoughby's uh, wife is also, what, 15, 20 years younger than he is. Mm-hmm. She's 30, I think, and Harrelson's in his 50s. Yeah. yeah. So the film has a very interesting way of introducing all of these things that are real in our society that most women, Mildred, uh, her age, and most women who, who look the way she does, she's not, she's just older. Right. And she did not want them to cover up any of that, she said, which is amazing. She doesn't even have eyebrows in the film. <laughs> She, I think it's nice because we're forced to confront that a woman of a certain age might still have a very important mission, a very important job, and she doesn't care what you think about her. And the film does so many unique things. The scene with a dentist, mm-hmm. for me, was so much a metaphor for that. She could sit there and just take it. Because he doesn't say, I'm going to hurt you. He's there with about to do the dental work, but he says, you know, Willoughby has a lot of friends in this town. Yeah. And just in that snap, she's like, oh, no, <laughs> motherfucker, this yeah. is not going down like this. Yeah, and it's a it's a great scene, plus you get the button of, you know, did you see the dentist? No. <laughs> just, that, just the way she performs that is so marvelous. It was. So... I loved it. And that's tricky. That's like a nightmare for an actor to be like, you have to nail this. It has to come across as believable. But yeah. you've got like this swollen mouth. Yeah. That was awesome. She will not be ignored. I really loved that. No matter whether you agree with her or not. Because by the time, as the film's rolling on, you were like, this chick's nuts. And this is not going anywhere good. Yeah. She's yeah. fearsome. I yes. think it's the, it's and, and again, it lines up with the one thing she was unable to do is is not save her daughter, but punish the man who killed her. And so now she's punishing everyone indiscriminately and herself and herself the most of all because she doesn't see it Mm -hmm. that's well maybe not the most of all but it's bad (laughs) yeah she doesn't even go to church anymore yeah one of the beautiful parts of of a a script that's this good and it's so amazing because i found a download of the screenplay and i'm obsessed with reading scripts and reading it every single thing is thought out very carefully and the scene with the priest there's a lot of moving parts in it and she's just come home and but when you read it you see that she did used to go to church. It was something she relied on. Now, whether that was because of where she's from and how entrenched reliance on religion is in that part of the of the, the states, but mm. she did used to go, and then it's very clear that she's not going to offer her, allow herself even that comfort. Whether she decides this is totally a mockery, where were you, God, when this happened to my daughter, which happens a lot with people who are grieving, sure. who are religious, but... She's not going to allow herself any little bit of comfort. And even if the community at church who supports her would comfort her, she's not going to do it. Yeah. And Nick Searcy is so sanctimonious in that scene that, you know, there's no way to root for him. No, and everything's perfect. The lighting design, everything in that scene is just amazing. The whole film just had me blown away. Like, I was so wrapped up in my own feelings. And I think that the best movies will do that. They will let you relate and let you think about your own life and all the different stuff that you have because that part for me, I'm glad that we're talking about that now, is her son is, I think, seeking some type of normalcy. Yeah. Right? And towing that line between knowing that this bad thing that happened to our family isn't what made my mother crazy. It's given her a really good excuse to to, to ride the crazy. Right. Yeah, and even so, he's on her side in that scene, which I love. Just the way, thanks for coming, great talk. He's just, he's so good at, um, Lucas Hedges is so good at shifting his loyalties and his allegiances in the moment because he's mad at her, but he's still, 
you know, he still likes it when she's right. Exactly. <laughs> when they're on the same side, I think he's much more comfortable. Yeah. But that one moment where it's early enough in the film, too, that we're not sure how to feel about him. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, yeah, no, he's a good kid. And then we find out everything else about the family relationships and how he is with his father. It's like, oh, yeah, no, he's he's as good as he can be. This yes. Has issues. Totally. Oh, my gosh. And it's just so amazing. I liked when they talked about when uh, Mildred was talking about the gang members and the way... And Bloods and them Crips, yeah. Yeah, and the way this way it rolls out is it's not prescriptive. You don't know until she's there. And I love that about... I don't like to know something until I know it. Mm-hmm. I don't want a giveaway, right? So she kind of Kaiser Soze's that. Like, you don't know where she's going until she's there, and then you're like, yes. Yeah. What is complicity? And what does that look like? And if it's this way for this certain group of people, then it should be that way across the board. And I don't suffer fools gladly. And she doesn't at all in her performance, in her own life. So it's strange because she's a hero, but you want so badly for her to cut herself a break or have the universe cut her one. Mm. But that's it, right? That's the. I think if the film has a thesis at all, it's that the only breaks we get are the ones we cut ourselves. The only, the only time you can enjoy your life is if you make the conscious choice to allow it. Because otherwise, this is what you do. You just become... A machine and mm. become devoted to your own punishment, you know, not knowing that you're doing it. Um, Dixon is in a cycle of abusive stupidity and never living up to his potential. And I don't think his potential is that great, but he does do the right thing when it matters in one point. So Willoughby clearly saw that in him. Uh, Willoughby is resigned to everything because in the end that's his entire he just he doesn't want to be in the hospital that's the only thing that motivates him and then you have Mildred and she's just a terminator like she's just devoted to her mission to the point where she doesn't have a life anymore she doesn't care about her family anymore she can't she can't allow it and that moment in the in the glade by the billboard is the one time we get to see almost who she used to be mm-hmm. right because even in the flashback she's angry mm-hmm. and we see that the anger was always there as, as you say she's just given herself the excuse to to really go into it but in that moment yeah in that moment with the deer you see that yeah you could be a person and you've chosen to be a soldier and it's yeah even in the end she's still on her mission it's just she's slightly adjusted the parameters because there's no yeah. one left in ebbing i know exactly yeah, she's burned the hole out, and now, now what? Now what's next? And it's it's great that it ends there because we are, you know, we're spared the the certitude of watching her and Dixon go kill someone because mm-hmm. they will. Um, do you think they will? I do. I absolutely do. Dixon might not want to. That I, that is the one thing I kind of want to see is Rockwell and McDormand playing that dynamic where she's more interested in meeting out justice than he is. Mm-hmm. Because he knows, he's been told, and therefore he believes it. That's his character. He knows the guy didn't do it. And Mildred won't care. Because she knows who he is. And that's a scene I would love to see. And the fact that I'm denied it is okay. Because uh-huh. that's the whole point of the film. Right. I don't need it. Yeah. I just, from the perspective of, I want to see those actors play those scenes. I really wish they'd gotten an extra beat. I know. But that was so interesting what you were saying about how he was told, even in the scene with um, Clark Peters, mm-hmm. where he's kind of trying to give him the clues yeah, and he just doesn't get it. Doesn't get it at all, which is such an interesting kind of metaphor for what we were saying before. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't force yeah. them to drink. Yes. 
and where does your feeling of duty and responsibility to get that horse to drink, where does it end? Mm-hmm. And do you just say, you got to do you? Yeah. So then it's very interesting after to have that scene and then have them be in the car at the end and they're going. And what you just said is so true. Like, why is he going with her? No, well, he thinks he's helping. Yeah. Right? He Well, he knows that, I think he says it, right? He, didn't, he may not have done this, but he's done something. Mm-hmm. So he's following a hunch. And then... I guess in a weird way, that's good detective work because she'll confirm that he's a bad person and they'll kill him. And that'll be that. And he wants to get away from his mother. There's that too. But he's just picked up another mother instead. Right. right? Exactly. Like just, and that gives us the possibility of them forming a family unit, but I don't think so. No, he always think... needs a boss. Yeah. And I don't think Mildred has much patience for him, even though no. she has the guilt of, of the burns staring her in the face every time. Yeah, she literally just needs to take him with her, and what's she going to do? She can't take her son, and like you said, the town is... Yeah, she's done there. Yeah. <laughs> she's been through everybody. Big time. Her, her righteous moral fire has cleansed the town. Yeah. I don't know where you go, but I mean, I, I know where it's going, but I don't know where it would go after that, which again is the perfect place to leave something from the playwright's perspective, right? Because you're never supposed to give people clarity, just a sense of conversation that they can take outside with them. And that drives me nuts. Because <laughs> even having seen it the third time, I want a little bit more. Like, And that, I guess that speaks a lot to their talents as actors, because I do think about them as characters. I and mean, they aren't real. <laughs> right, yeah. What happened to Dixon? What is going on with Mildred? This anger is just no good. Yeah. And there's so many angry people today, right now, in our world. And there's where do you put it? You know what I mean? Every time you can try and have, like, take care of yourself and not watch the news and not listen to these outrageous things in the world, but it's impossible. Yeah. Well, we've made it so that you you really, if you can't be engaged with the world, then there's something wrong with you're perceived to be at fault, as opposed to, I just want to sit and read a book and not think about the world for a while. Well, what about the world? The world is still going. It's like, that's the point. The world is still going. It doesn't need me right now. for this hour. Yeah. But... Yeah, no, Mildred is what happens when you refuse to disengage uh, to an absurd point, although she has a perfectly good reason for it. It's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that, I don't know that there's ever going to be a solution. I don't know that you can take back social media. And and Three Billboards in a world where Twitter, like all they have is cable television, or it's not even cable, it's just local broadcast TV. Uh, Three Billboards in a world of, hey, you know, you won't believe what this woman is doing uh, what this woman did to defend her dead daughter will blow your mind or something like that. You yeah. Know? She's not a BuzzFeed article. No. Although there is another side where that could be a thing and there'd be a media circus and I think it's the right choice not to do that even though it doesn't feel like it's taking place in the present moment because she, like Mildred's story is the kind of thing that Trump would spin on the campaign stump. Oh, totally. Right? There's a woman whose daughter was killed. I can't do it. <laughs> Oh, that was good though. Yeah. You have the exact yeah. face that which people could see. Murdered <laughs> brutally by, I assume, a rapist murderer. Yeah, like just that. Yeah, like he'd turn it into an anecdote. And my fantastic team. Yeah, stupendous. Exactly. The best job. The, yeah. the best murderers. The greatest. But kind ones. of the news reporter. Now that you're saying that, yeah. I guess it's she's kind of our that. little glimpse. And she's trying to. Yeah, she's, she's doing still that stock there. Delivery, but Mildred keeps calling her out on it. Yeah, she keeps saying like, "You are an idiot," and she tries to play into it a little bit. Mildred does go on the news, right, mm. and to get a little bit of attention. So it's kind of like that fickle relationship that you have with uh, social media and. And exposure, because mm-hmm. we did do that. That is what happened with someone like Trump. Yeah. You know, just all this, uh, how do you say it, schadenfreude? Yes. 
right? Sure. All of this. And then all of a sudden. Yeah, he won. Exactly. Yeah. All of us are kind of complicit in giving this maniac a platform. So I'm sure that's how the news channel in Ebbing felt about Mildred. Like, look what we've done, especially after what happens with Willoughby. Everyone wants to blame her. Yeah. Do you I mean, think that uh, he would have done that if the billboards hadn't gone up? I think so. I mean, it's timed. It's it's so clearly timed to his hospitalization that he said that he just doesn't. I mean, there's it's in the letters, right? He wanted to spare his family the mm-hmm. the, the pain of watching him deteriorate and hate him for it. Mm-hmm. And that tells me that Martin McDonough has lost someone to cancer because that's an insight you don't come up with if you haven't. And the first time I saw the film, I saw it with someone who lost someone oh, to cancer God. just last oh, year. So it was horrible. really brutal. So I didn't know that that was at all. Yeah, yeah. It surprised me as well. And, I, and it's the kind of thing you don't want to... I mean, I have this weird personal quirk. I don't want to spoil anything that happens after the first 20 minutes of a movie. I feel it's unfair. Yeah. And the cancer doesn't come up right away. And mm. so I didn't I didn't mention it, I don't think, at any point. And yeah, I can see how that would be shocking. But again, that's the thesis of the film is that you don't fully know anyone. And he's hiding it for a reason. And, and mm-hmm. all of that factors in. Yeah, so it was very interesting because seeing it, it through that lens, mm-hmm. I totally was on board. And I do believe he has someone that he must have someone that he lost to cancer because I agree as well. Everyone was so angry at her and the wife when she comes and says, like, my daughters are out in the car and tries to blame her half heartedly, though. Yeah. Right. I, I think she knows that she's just going through the motions, I think. Yeah. But he definitely I agree. I think he would have done that either way. And he chose such kind of a, on his own terms, way to do it. He was with his horses and that frame and then the light. It was gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's poetic, really, in, in terms of cinema. And it's a moment that I don't think that McDonough had pulled off in either of his other two films. Not that I don't like them, but mm. I mean, I'm not as big a fan of Bruges, but I don't think either of them is especially visual in that way. There are a lot right. of long takes and a lot of sort of trick shots, but this one... Everything in it feels like it's in the service of the story, in service of the drama, as opposed to showing off. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of long takes, but they don't dominate. And it's really more about the people in them than it is about the virtuosity of the camera work or anything like oh, that. Oh, totally. Even when Mildred and uh, Willoughby are sitting there talking about the futility of this mission of hers, mm-hmm. the billboards are just past them. You see them in the whole scene, but the opposite side of them, the back of them. Yeah. And it's so strange because then you kind of get that little glimpse that... This is just a mother who wants to have a bit of her daughter around every day, even if it's these stupid billboards. They're always there, and then they're on the swing set. So I, it was the most visually impactful film that he's made, and I did love In Bruges, but it was, it was really, really special. Everything, especially seeing it. The first time I was sucked in, right? And then the second time and then the third time, you really get to see visually how the story happens. Even with... Um, Dixon when he's like you were saying slowly putting it together in the bar at the end and you don't know what he's going to do and it's shot in such a way where we've all been there we've all been in that bar we've all been listening to someone's conversation and what does he do and the way he does it he's kind of just like an animal yeah which I liked and there's nothing in his face which is kind of amazing yeah there's no intention there's no he's no guile yeah I was trying to figure out the second time if it's deliberate on Dixon's part or on Rockwell's part to not show anything if he's and I thought maybe he's so focused on doing it properly that he can't move his face. That mm. He's so fixed on getting this one thing right. Yeah. And it kind of makes sense to me, especially the way he protects his hand for the rest of the sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think that's it. This is what full concentration looks like for him. Like <laughs> he shuts down all non-essential systems. Yeah. But it's really disturbing when it happens. 100%. Because yeah. you don't know. Yeah. Right? And you're just completely pulled in. Like, I didn't know what was going to go on. And the guy is so vile. The other guy. Yeah. Yeah. And what a nasty character mm-hmm. to and play. It's a, it's a good performance and no one remembers it because he's just the bad guy. Mm-hmm. But he fully commits. He's doing exactly what's required in that role. Yeah. Like, there's no ambiguity. No. He's the one, like like I said, he's the lowest point of the spectrum. Yeah. Especially when he when he comes and visits Mildred, too, mm-hmm. at her little job and the stuff that he breaks. Right? All these little nicky knacks. Yeah. So it was kind of like a quaint little button on that character and the place that she works Everything seems so small and her mission is so big. So I really loved that in the main street in the film and everything. Like, we've all kind of... Like, I grew up in Newfoundland and there's a lot of a lot of those situations that happen and it's harder, I think, um, to have a bad... a really bad crime or something brutal happen to a loved one in a smaller place like that. Right. Mm. Is it because we have the excuse of things being random in a big city? I think so, yeah. You just... You can't... You can almost find a way to rationalize that aspect of it that it's you know six million people something bad's gonna happen Mm -hmm. yeah and that feeling of why me why us in a smaller place and you can't run away from it like the road to the hospital to the house would be oh i see so you're constantly reminded of it too like Mm -hmm. there's no you can't change your your rhythm or your routine to to avoid being reminded of it yeah oh yeah i'd never even thought about that that's awful Uh uh-huh that would be yeah because we i can choose 25 different ways home today if Mm -hmm. i feel like it um and yeah and mildred not only has the billboards but we know the billboards are where the murder took place (laughs) so yeah it it wasn't until the second viewing that i got the geography of it quite right yeah me too because it's that clearing is so big that it doesn't feel like it's it's right on top of her house mm -hmm. but of course it is and of course if she was walking home, of course she would be. I know. Yeah. It's just little things that just float on the surface of this drama and then smack you the second time. Again, I just, I'm in awe of his writing skill in this one. It's just oh such my a, gosh. an amazing script. That was my favorite part of the entire thing was the script because the more scripts you read, the more you get into it. And I'm also a big reader in my life, so words really matter to mm-hmm. me. Um... It was crazy. Every single little thing is written in such a way that even the exchange between Mildred and Dixon when they're kind of insulting each other in the police station, yeah. it's hilarious in a way because Dixon is just so simple-minded Yeah, that this egoic hurling of insults he's going to do and his co-worker, his... Yeah. Peer is saying, like... Basically, the supervisor, stop it. Yeah, Yeah. stop it. Stop slinging insults with this woman. You are a policeman. Right. And also, I think, he knows knows Dixon can't win. Like, there's... You're not on her level. No. There's just that exasperation, too, that that beautifully lived in performance from from Zelko Ivanek, who's been... I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name, but he's been in everything. He's in Homicide and The, and the Wire. And, and he's so Law good. Order, I think, a few times. And he's, he's amazing. Oh, he was. He's so good at suggesting that this has been going on for years, that he's been stuck in the station with this idiot, and he's so tired of him. Yes. It's just, like... It's thrown off. It's tossed off. Like, just just stop. Just leave her alone. Just, why are you doing this again to bother me? Uh-huh. And, and he makes it feel personal, which is so great. And he has a smaller role, but he fully fleshes out the character arc, and you get to see that so beautifully after Willoughby yeah. is gone. Yeah. He has moral authority. He holds people while they cry. He's the one who 
explains definitively to Dixon, no, fired, you're fired. Yeah. Don't come back. Yeah. <laughs> but it's great because, again, it's with this weariness of, oh, that's right, I have one more, th- I have to talk to this idiot one more time and explain yeah. it. It's, yeah. No, everybody's, everybody's doing exactly what they need to be doing. It's such a great film. Wonderfully cast film. I loved it. It was yeah. so fun to talk about it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a new enough release, too, that this kind of invalidates my question the usual closer which is that is there anything in three billboards that you have borrowed or stolen or or absorbed into your creative dna is there something that you'd want to something you're looking forward to using Hmm. bandana work (laughs) work and shaving the back of my head um no it's actually funny that you say that because the fearlessness that Frances mcdormand has in the way that she performs and it's not just her fearlessness she's utterly guileless. She's not manipulating you. So sometimes in acting, what will happen is you do your work and then even in the best performances, you see sort of a calculation happening. You know that you're being taken on this journey. There's none of that. There's none. And I, I, the last time, the third time I watched it mostly, I watched it just looking at her. Yeah. She doesn't guide you, uh, and there's so many examples that we talked about like that with the scene with the deer. You don't even, you can't even fully see if she knows how she feels. She isn't going to allow herself to consider it, and that's what I like, um, and that's what I think I'm going to try and, and emulate, borrow, and really study and work on is not calculating and just fully being there. Right. I think that's. That's the biggest takeaway for me and not trying to tell somebody how to feel about something. Do you think you could do the whole brick wall thing? Just the the fact that she doesn't give anything back in performance? I've only seen that happen a few times and it's always so... It's so clearly jarring to the other people in the scene, to the other actors. Uh, did you ever see The Iceman? Yeah. The Michael Shannon one? Yeah, I he, love him. He's he does, such a good actor. He is, but he gives you nothing in those in those scenes. Like There's a scene with Winona Ryder where she is actively pleading for him to engage as the character's wife and also as the actor and it's an amazing experiment i don't i don't know that part i don't know that that's possible for everybody i think it has to be that exact part Mm -hmm. there has it has to work perfectly for that part but i i do like a little bit more generosity and i'll let someone i want i want you to affect me and i want to affect you but uh the brick wall thing no and the funny thing is, is if you're in theater i think that works a little bit better because you need to affect outside and you can be a bit in a choreographed dance with the people around you. Right. But on film, I, I want to still stay generous and let things affect me. And that's the funny thing because watching the movie, I wonder if I would, I'm so sensitive, I wonder if I'd be able to not let that affect me. And I, I do believe in signs and I have experienced loss. So when the deer comes, before they even start talking, I started to feel emotional. I was like, oh my gosh you're here and you've got the snack and it's the place and this is all coming together and then she just wouldn't give in at all to that and it just bugged me so much (laughs) so no I don't think I'll do that you could use the deer scene in in an audition yeah you can can read it and have a prop deer (laughs) you can choose to pet the deer you can let the humanity (laughs) remember where it is do you think that she'll win the Oscar for this? I do. I can't imagine anybody else. It's, I mean, it's such a, a fantastic performance, and she's so good at it. It's, it's like Fargo. That role was written for her even before she got it. That's right. 
Um, they were campaigning pretty hard for Margot Robbie, though, huh? Yeah. And I, I, I don't think the film has the momentum. Neither do I. And, I mean, she's good, but... She's good. It's also a film that is sort of... I mean, they're both comedies, but I, Tonya sort of leans into the unreality of it in a way that works against Robbie, I think, being evaluated as a performer. 100%. The mockumentary style of it can... I was considering choosing it for this because I did oh. really enjoy it, and Alison Janney's fantastic in the mm-hmm. film. And I love stories about fam- familial dysfunction. All right, we talked about how that was one of my favorite things. This, like, my family can be a little bit dysfunctional, but I definitely like we all recognize that, right? But yeah, I know that they were really pushing for Margot Robbie, but yeah, the film doesn't have the momentum. This film all around is spectacular. Yeah. I think it's going to do pretty well. Do you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I try not to get invested in the Oscars because oh, oh, I can't help it. Yeah, well, exactly, and I'm required to at some point actually write about them, so it just feels so much like an industry thing. But uh, mm, yeah, I think. I think it'll probably get original screenplay, actress, and picture. You think so? I think so, yeah. Hmm. I think... I think I think Get Out will... I hope Get Out has some surprises. I really hope so. I, I mean, it was my favorite film last year, and I think just the fact that it's nominated for picture and actor as well, and director as well as screenplay. I was sure it would just be screenplay. I know! Yeah. So was I. Do you know when the, the nominations came out in the morning, and I do care about it, I can't help it, mm-hmm. it, it made me cry. Oh, that's great. I cried about that, actually, because it is such an original story told through a very original lens, and I think the fact that they nominated Daniel Kaluuya and all this stuff, and Jordan Peele, they are, the world is saying, we are open to this, and it feels good to be able to be optimistic about something. There's more room for the talk on diversity. There's more room for the types of roles people of color go out for. And it is still a story about pain and oppression, but told very interestingly. And when all those nominations came out, I thought, nice. This yeah. is, I think this is the beginning of a, of a sick little change. I really hope so. I hope that you know the, all the Academy talk about diversity and having a, a newer, wider, younger membership is really taking because... And Universal pushed Get Out like crazy. They were sending out screeners in the in like, like late summer, early fall to the to the Academy members, and deservedly so because the film comes out in February. You can't let the momentum go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I. I think Three Billboards. I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe Peel does get screenplay, but I'd be really surprised. They're so closely tied together. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. I mean, it's all. You know, it's all it's all a popularity contest, and it's one out of five, and all of that. But I'm just glad that we're having a conversation where all of these films are included instead of, ex- of excluded. Totally right. It yeah. feels good. It does. I feel good about it. But I think that Get Out will be the toughest competition for original screenplay, and maybe even for best picture. Yeah. Let's we'll see. Yeah. The I'm... Shape of Water is tough too. I'd be fine with any of them winning. I know. But I, I still think in the end it's going to tip over to, to three billboards. It just, it feels more like an Oscar winner. Mm-hmm. They can hide, they can dismiss Get Out because of a genre. Mm-hmm. Not because of its racial stuff, but because it's a horror movie. And, mm-hmm. and it really is. Oh, right. it absolutely is. Yeah. That's the beauty of it, too, though, mm-hmm. that, it, that it uses genre to, um, you know, just the way that The Shape of Water is sort of a dance with the concept of a monster movie. It's not a horror film itself. Uh, Get Out is full-on a horror film, but what it's about the subtext and then text is amazingly present day relevance. Totally. Um, but I still think Three Billboards is going to take picture. It's just... it's it, the, And Get Out came out so long ago. Yeah. it's the And Three Billboards is the consensus choice too where I think all the criticism against it just makes people dig in if they like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, as I think I did three or four times over the course of the <laughs> conversation. Um, so I think that will just build up its support. Me and, too. Yeah, still, if Get Out wins, I am absolutely fine with that. I know. 
Now I have to get Jordan Peele on the show. Oh my god! I hope you do. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> it's nice to see that talent happening, right? Yeah, and I'm it's cool so glad because he's married that. to a white woman. Oh, that's right, Chelsea Peretti. Yeah, so people they cannot give him a hard time because he's just so smart, right? <laughs> and I think that's what's great about Three Billboards too. For all the criticism and the controversy, it's so smart and so clever. And as soon as you think you have it figured out, like me thinking about this and that we were going to talk as soon as I think I know how I feel about one thing then you realize like on the one hand you're like anger taking over your life is going to ruin everything it's going to wreck your whole family and then you understand but Mildred has a productive anger she feels like she's productive and as long as she's productive you aren't going to get her to stop using her anger as the conduit to get shit done right plus it keeps her from feeling which I think is the bigger investment for her right like she doesn't know it but that's why she's doing it I know, especially the scene with the little slippers. It was just like, you just need an outlet here, lady, so bad. (laughs) My thanks to Samora Smallwood, who you can see right now on The Shelter, available on Amazon Video. And keep an eye out for her on The Expanse when its third season returns later this spring. She'll also be popping up on Shadowhunters The Mortal Instruments before too long. Thanks also to Charles Trapunsky. He knows what he did. You can find Samora on Twitter at TheRealSamora, all one word, and you can find Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri on 4K, Blu-ray, and DVD as of today from 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review up on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud.